So we've been going through the book of Exodus, and you can go ahead and open up your Bibles and flip to about Exodus chapter 28. And uh, while you do that, I would uh, I, I want to tell a story. When my wife was doing the announcements, um, I, don't, I don't think I've told this story in a while. She was talking about those shoe boxes. And it always feels kind of weird to start talking about the shoe boxes now because it's still like September, right? But like we have to get them in super early so that they have a chance to get to where they need to be at Christmas, right? So I remember my first year here. I came to Connecticut in 2002. And is it really windy? Do you need me to put that thing on the microphone? It's all right? Okay. So I came here 2002. I graduated from Calvary Chapel Bible College, and I grew up out west. Like, I hadn't been back here in years. And I came here. Uh, Pastor Joe had invited me out to do an internship, and I remember there was one rainy Sunday morning and the church had just started doing the shoebox thing. And I was, like, as broke as an intern could be, right? Like, fresh out of college, like, no money to my – so I didn't do a shoebox. So I'm a cheap kid or something. You know, I didn't know anything about that. Well, one of my friends who I'd gotten to know, he saw me standing outside the door over there um, on the by the steps. And he drove up in his car. And he said, hey, Keith, can you come here and help me with these boxes? So I was like, yeah, sure. I went out. His name was Sean Lovison, if everyone remembers that guy. He was an awesome, awesome guy. He moved out to California, though. But um, So I went over to his car. I was like, sure. I was thinking there was one or two. He had two giant like garbage bags filled with shoeboxes. So I picked them both off, and he's like, okay, I'm going to go park. So I walk in the door with these two giant bags of shoeboxes, and people were immediately, wow, Keith, you are so generous. You're, that is so wonderful of you. And I'm like, I, I, I didn't know what to say but uh that I just remember that story every single time the this time of year so get those shoe boxes get them out there fill them up bless some people you'll be blessed too um so we've been going through the book of Gen uh through, not Genesis through Exodus and we've uh we've gone through all the stories of Moses and the people coming out of Israel and then the last few weeks we've talked a lot about um God starting to set up the things of the tabernacle and the lampstands and the incense and the offerings and the bread and all these different things, right? So this morning, we're going to get into talking about some priests this morning. And so before we do, um, before we get into the, the real text of it, there's five things that I'll want to point out straight away about priests. Um, and number one, the priests were appointed by God. God names them. God summons them, and he ordains them. It says, verse 1 of chapter 28, Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. So, you know, Joe was just up here uh, a moment ago, and he was inviting people to join, like, our pastors in training group, you know, and he even said, you know, if you're called or if you're not called, come and check it out. You know, it's a good thing to be involved in. Um, but this, these guys, you had to be called to be a priest. You had to be from the tribe of Levite. In fact, to be the head priest, you had to be from the family of Aaron. So number one, the priests were appointed by God. Number two, they had to wear special clothes, the priestly garments that we're going to get into in a few minutes. This would set them apart from any other activity, any other service. You could see these guys coming a mile away. Not that they would use these clothes or dress in these clothes outside of their priestly duties. They wouldn't wear them home. They wouldn't go out to lunch in them. 
Number three, the priests will serve as representatives. So question for you, who are the priests representing? It's kind of a trick question, because the very first thing you think is they're representing God, right? They're actually representing the people. Sorry, that was a horrible trick question. But the priests aren't representing God. They're representing the people to God, right? Now, a little while later, God's going to appoint prophets, and those are the people representing God to the people, right? The people who represent God to the people are prophets. The people who represent people to God are the priests. And the prophets are the ones, you know, they say, thus saith the Lord, right? But the priests are representing people to the Lord. And the high priests will have names of the tribe of Israel on their shoulders and on their breastplates. And we're going to read it all through that momentarily. And that's to show that they're representing these peoples before God. Number four, priests had to take their calling very seriously. This was no walk in the park. If you were going to be a priest, this could mean death if you're not very careful. You couldn't just go running into the presence of God unprepared. Sometimes it would take days or a week just to prepare for a certain sacrifice, and you had to do everything perfect. You had to light the fire just perfectly. You had to kill the right animals in the right order. So to be a priest, you had to take it very, very seriously. In fact, if we um, ever get into the book of Leviticus, we'll, we'll see in chapter 21, there's actually um, a list of things that a priest had to have in his life just to be uh, able to be a priest. In fact, um, I, don't, I don't think I'd make the cut. Um, the, uh, the priest's and maybe we should get Joe up here too, since he's here, and we could line up and see how many of these things we we can um, we we can fulfill. How many we can check off our lists. First of all, they had to come from the line of Aaron. I'm I'm not from the line of Aaron, so that's that's going to be a no for me. They were forbidden to come into contact with any dead body unless it was a close relative. Again, I think I'm all right with that one. They couldn't have any defects, so. You know, they couldn't be missing a limb or a birth defect or, you know, anything like that. Um, I have a slight stigmatism in my eyes. I, I don't have to wear glasses to drive. I can see just fine, but I don't know if that counts as a defect, probably. They were not allowed to have any bald parts on their heads. I guess I'm out. <laughs> I just took my hat off because I want to try and look somewhat respectable, but my head's cold. It's a chilly morning. They were not permitted to shave the edges of their beards. I guess that's another one that knocks me out, but my beard's longer than most, so that should count for something. Um, they couldn't marry a harlot. They had to wear, marry a virgin Israelite. They had a lot of things that they had to to check off their list. And if you miss one of these, you can't be a priest, right? Or you definitely couldn't be the high priest. One misstep, one abuse of the position, and it would mean death. In Leviticus, we also read the story about two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who bring profane fire before the Lord, and the Lord burns them up, and they die. So this was a very serious business not to be taken lightly. 
And number five, the priesthood was one of the ways that the people of Israel could discover the will of God. Specifically, they had a couple of stones, the Urim and the Thummim, that they used to discover the, the will of God, and they were used a few times throughout the Old Testament, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, we'll get into these garments of the priesthood. And I am so glad we don't have to wear these garments anymore. I mean, you'll see some, I guess you can call them sects of Christianity, where people will wear fancy robes and the big hats, or what are, the, what are those things called? The big pointy hats that priests wear or something? Um, you know, the robes, the inside. I am so glad we don't have to do that. I don't even like wearing a button-down shirt. And don't think this was on purpose. This is just, I was cold this morning, and I put this nice flannel on. Otherwise, if it was sunny, I, I hate wearing button-up shirts, right? Um, much to my wife's dismay, but uh, she tries to dress me right. She really does try. Um <laughs> But these guys had to wear the right clothes when representing God. Um, and thankfully, again, nowhere in the, old, the New Testament does it say pastors or elders, deacon, deacons, or anyone has to wear fancy robes or clothes. So very, very grateful for that. But these guys did. Verse 2 says, And you shall make holy garments for, your Aaron, for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. So notice God's calling on some people's lives are to be an artist. And I don't know about you, but that's super encouraging to me. If you're an artist, that could be God's way of using you to glorify him. Um, their ministry was their art. So much so that says, I have filled them with the spirit of wisdom. These are gifted artisans, artists, who God has called to serve him with their art. All the musicians up on stage here this morning were serving him with their art this morning. And that's awesome. What a great way to be able to serve God. Are you a musician? Are you a painter? Are you a sculptor? Are you a seamstress? That's the specific artists that are called here, you can serve God in so many different ways and use your gifts and your talents to glorify him. And I would encourage any of you, if you think you can't serve God, if you think you're useless and you don't have anything going on that you can serve and be helpful with, well, what do you feel like doing? What, what brings you joy in life? Take that and see if you can offer that before the Lord and, and bless him and bless other people at the same time. Maybe we should have like a, a week where we all like come up with something artistic and bring it and we can all like, like put it on a big display and like bless each other with, you know, artistic talents. Um, we have a group. I don't know if Bill Pratt still did it, does it or if he maybe um, paused it during COVID or whatnot, Art for the Heart, where people can get together and show their art for his glory. Verse 4, it says, And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Now, that's interesting. That's the third time we've read 
that sentence, those words, that he may minister to me as priest. So think about that for a moment. The priests were there to minister to God on behalf of the people to God. The priests are there to minister to people and, and bring their sacrifices before the Lord, but the point is they're ministering to the Lord. And what a warning this should be to pastors, teachers, and leaders of the church. I, I fear that there are some pastors out there who maybe for whatever reason treat their, their place as more of just a nine-to-five job that just pays the bills. Maybe it didn't start out that way. Maybe it's just over time has gotten to that point. I think there's pastors out there, and I think we could all like think of one that we've either seen on TV or a church that we've been to or bad experiences of places we've been. But I think just about all of us could probably think of a, a pastor who like they have no interest in helping people or serving people and you can tell like they just don't even like people you know or or they just think people are gross and pray for the sick lay hands on the sick that's gross i don't want anything to do with those gross sinners you know some pastors um have helping people so on the list that it's it's it might not even be on the list or if they do help someone it's an unfortunate accident you know that's that's how low down on the list of helping and ministering to people. They just might think that they're there to, I don't know. I don't want to say for the glory or for, you know, the power, or, you know, the recognition or something. And again, I'm not trying to judge anyone specifically. I'm just saying, like, you know, there's pastors who might start off right, but after years and years they get bogged down and they start doing it for the wrong reasons. And you read about pastors who fall from from their spots, who get caught up in, you know, adultery and, you know, money cheating and, and stealing and stuff like that. And it's always a crying shame when you read about these things in the headlines. But when you're serving the Lord and you realize, I'm, I'm not giving the message <laughs> because I just woke up this morning. I'm like, you know what? I think Joe needs a week off. I'll give the message, I'll, you know, whatever. Like, I'm doing this because, like, I want to serve the Lord. You know, it's not that I have nothing better to do. It's I want to serve the Lord, and, and this is one of the ways I can do it. And next week, maybe I can just do it by playing the bass or just by, you know, helping out with sound or, or something. You know, whatever ways we serve, and it just doesn't have to be pastors or teachers, but, like, any of the ways we serve here, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class or, you know, setting up the coffee and donuts or whatever. Are you doing it unto the Lord? And I know, I think I can honestly say that there have been times where I get caught up and I'm like, oh, I'm so sick and tired of this and people don't do this and there's no respect for that. And, uh, uh, uh. and then I feel the Lord say, are you doing it for the, those people or are you doing it for me? <laughs> like that's right. I'm I'm serving you, Lord. You know, and and I can I I probably said this a dozen times before, but like I, some of the most like awesome times I felt the Lord speak to me has been like at like 11:30 at night, like cleaning up after like a youth event. You know, like just vacuuming the floor after that, and knowing that I can serve the Lord just doing something as simple as like vacuuming. 
you know, even though no one might see it and no one even know it happened, you know, I'm ministering to the Lord by helping out in that capacity. But I think there are some pastors out there who, sadly, I think there might be a few that come time for judgment, the Lord might say, get away, I've never knew you, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, I think there's going to be some pastors who, well, let's just say they, at the end, they'll be weighed and measured and found wanting. Um, and 10 points to whoever can tell me what movie I'm quoting after the service. But you can't Google it. But anyways, the point is you can't minister to people with the wrong heart. It's got to be unto the Lord. So don't just serve people, serve God. And no matter where or how you're serving or volunteering, do it unto God. And if you find yourself getting angry and frustrated, stop and ask yourself who you're doing it for. Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for other people? If so, just stop. God doesn't need you to do things for him. We get to do these things for him. We get to serve. We get to bless others. And it's all about serving him. And again, I'm saying like I've needed to change my heart before. So we're all in this together. So getting into these, these clothes, the, the ephod, that's a word we haven't used ever. Has anyone ever put on an ephod like when you're getting ready for work <laughs> this week or something? No, that's not something we talk about often. But verse 5, it says, They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread in the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked together. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same worksmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. So you'll notice these, it's repeating these colors over again, and the materials and the fine linen. I mean, talk about like, you know, like a fine linen count, like on your bed sheets, you know, you want like the, the, the highest quality fine linen thread count or whatever to get the softest bed sheets, you know? Like, that's what God's saying. Like, I want the finest linen for these priests. I want everything to be set up perfectly, just right, with gold and these colors interwoven together. Um, gold, blue, purple, um, scarlet. And these things are matching the materials used in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is really just like an image of heaven. So God is being very specific about how this, this is all coming together. This ephod thing, it's kind of like a I should have, like, put together a couple of images that people could look up on your phone. You could, like, Google the priestly garment, the high priest garment, and you can and you could, you could can get a few good images out there. Um, I'll just kind of try and describe the whole thing to you real quick. It's like first they would wear, like, this whole white robe, like, like everyone would wear back then, you know, shoulders to, to their, you know, ankles, this white robe with, like, long sleeves. And then there was, like, this blue ephod um, robe thing that would go on your front and on your back, kind of like a, I don't know, like a tunic or something with the head cut out. And that was blue. And then on top of that was the ephod plate with the gems in it. We'll get to in a few minutes. And then the sash around all that. And then the, the linen underwear underneath. We'll get to that. And then the turban and, and the, the golden plated crown and stuff. And so the high priest had like a serious getup. Um, and uh, this 
you know, made up of, of many different colors, again, correlating with the tabernacle, with all these different colors. And what do they all mean? Um, well, blue, blue could be kind of like the heavens. We have a beautiful blue sky this morning that we can look up and, and see the heavens and see the origin of where true worship really comes from. So maybe blue was a reminder to always know that you're, you're worshiping the God up in heaven. Purple, purple is a, a royal color, the, the royal color of a king, right? God is, is our true king who rules all and has the authority over all. Scarlet, which speaks of the blood and the, the sacrifices and of redemption. All these woven together. Um, and the sash and the band and the girdle that goes with it, uh, same thing. All, just all these different colors interlaced together. Um, and this girdle, that can, the sash, can remind us, if we, if we think about it, of another time that Jesus girded himself up. In John chapter 3, in the upper room, when he took off all his clothes and he just girded himself with, it was basically just a little, little more than a towel just to wipe his, his feet. And so we get the, the feet of the disciples. So we get this beautiful image that, you know, this, this heavenly servant, the servant of all. Jesus, being the Lord, a servant, being Lord of all, was also a servant to all. And these two stones with the, the tribes on them, on the shoulders. Verse 9, it says, Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone. In order of their birth, with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. And you shall also make settings of gold, and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. So that's a lot of like craftsmanship talk and, you know, orders about very specifically how to sew these things together and how to make them look. So keeping in mind that Jesus is our high priest, right? The book of Hebrews makes it like abundantly clear, just like over and over that Jesus Christ is our high priest, the final high priest. So we, it's very easy for us to take all the things we're reading and just like bring it in connection with Jesus, right? So if we think about this and we easily compare it with our relationship with Christ, Jesus girding himself up to serve us, carrying the weight of all the names on his shoulders. Sure, Israel's names specifically, but like also ours. Um, and that's not just replacement theology I'm talking about. I'm just saying that like Jesus being our high priest, he has lifted us up on his shoulders. He bears our weight. He bears our burdens. We can cast our burdens on him for he cares for you. So these names were grouped together. They're going to be individually on stones on the chest in just a second that we'll read. But here they're grouped together, taking the, the individuality out of the equation and grouping them together, showing the common ground that they all stand on, that we're all in this together. And none of us are more important than the other. Um, and it doesn't matter where you come from or where you're at in life. Jesus bears your weight the same as he bears mine. And if that's not comforting, I don't know what is, because I don't feel 
very you know uh important sometimes like i'm you know, when I'm around certain other people, I'm just like, I don't even deserve to be in this room sometimes, you know, like these people are so much greater than I am. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, but to know that God loves you just as much as he, you know, loved Billy Graham, you know, like he loves us all equally the same. It doesn't matter what you accomplish in life. He loves us. And I think there's someone here this morning who needs to hear that, who's maybe is feeling down that Jesus loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you, and he wants to bear your weight. He wants to carry us on his shoulders. My problem is oftentimes I'm, I'm too fidgety and I, I want to squirm and wiggle my way off those shoulders so I can do it myself, you know, and I don't have enough patience to trust that God will get me through. Is there anyone else here like that? Sometimes we just need to rest on his shoulders and have patience and enjoy the ride, as scary as it may be. Just rest and let him carry us. And that can be difficult for some. Verse 15 says, you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically. It just keeps saying this word, artistically, over and over again. God loves beauty. He loves seeing what man can come up with and work with his hands to praise him. You shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. So we're talking about this chest, this breastplate. I can't talk this morning this breastplate, right? And it's going to be a span, like a square in size on the chest. Um, a span width, a span by height. And do you know what a span is? Is there anyone here who knows what a span is? It's your hand. But specifically, from the tip of the thumb to the tip of the pinky. So it's like the Hawaiian hang loose, right? Yeah? No, no one's from the West Coast here. Okay, I get it. <laughs> when I lived in California, everyone would be like, hey, man, hang <laughs> loose. So the span of this was like that by like that, the width by the height, three rows by th um, three rows of, of four stones, what, or whatnot. Out of curiosity, do you know what two spans make? Two spans make a cubit. And do you know what a cubit's supposed to be when they measure cubits in the Bible? This is, we're just off topic. This is just side trivia. A cubit is the length from your fore, of your forearm. So it's from your wrist to the elbow. That means if you have two spans, it should be the length of your... Okay, everyone do it together. I know you all want to. From the wrist to the elbow. Does it match up? From the wrist to the elbow, two spans? If not, you should seek medical help. No, I'm just kidding. They say you should learn something new every Sunday, so that's it. That's your walk away. Two spans equal a cubit of your forearm. All right. So this, this breastplate, two spans, uh, width by height, this is a span. In verse 17, and you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a sardius, a topaz, an emerald shall be in the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. In the third row, a jacinth, an agate, an amethyst. And in the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and jasper. And they shall be set in gold settings, and the stone shall have the names of Israel, 
the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of the signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. So all these different beautiful stones. And isn't, isn't it amazing? Like we could just pause there and just talk about for like another hour God's beauty and his creation and how he can create so many different stones and so many different colors. And, and they're all like these precious stones and rocks and diamonds. And, and there's so many of them. Um, but each one different. And, and we could pull a few things out of this. You know, sitting on the, the, the chest of the, the high priest, you know, these many different colors um, can remind us, uh, I, I was listening to this one sermon this week, uh, this another pastor who it brought to his mind um, in First Peter where it talks about we have the manifold trials. And manifold just means many variations or many shades, right? And, you know, he, he was saying how the many shades of trials, but later in the book of First Peter it talks about having the many shades of grace, the manifold grace of God to cover it. And I think that's a a nice correlation that we could bring to here, you know, like the, the, the many different colors and the many different trials, but the many different types of grace that God will give us right close to his heart. Um, and again, no matter where you come from, we're all on God's heart. So all the different colors, all the different tribes of Israel, all on his heart together, close to his heart. And you know what's really awesome is all these different stones. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, we read about when all this is said and done, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and a new city of Jerusalem is going to come out. And it's going to be like streets of gold, right? But then there's going to be decorations all around the foundations of the walls. You know what those decorations are? All these stones, all these different color stones. So when it all comes to an end and we're walking down the streets of the New Jerusalem and you look around and you see all these precious stones, we can be reminded of God's faithfulness that it's started all the way back in the Old Testament where God set up the sacrifices and a way to come and, and sacrifice before him and get right with him. He was faithful all along. He set up right there those, those stones which represent his people He's carried it all the way through, all the way until the very end, and he's, he's not forgotten us or them. We get down to verse 22, and a lot of this is just, again, kind of talking about braids and chains and rings and putting them all together and woven and stuff. So I'll skip a few, skip a few verses down to verse 29. It says, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord. And again, these, these stones were over his heart. He was to bear the breastplate of judgment, and that's what this was called with the stones on it, the breastplate of judgment over his heart so that when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. So it's not just enough that the priest, the high priest would carry the names of the people on his shoulders and carry their weight, but he had to carry them on his heart and have compassion for them. It's not enough that the priest would have a heart to serve God, but he has to also have a heart to serve people. And don't you want that? Wouldn't you want like someone, if someone's going to represent you to God, 
do you want that person to have compassion or what? Because, <laughs> like, if someone was representing me before God, I know I'm not very worthy to be represented to God. So I would want that person to have compassion on me, right? And so the priest would have to hold these stones close to his heart. And thank God that Jesus, our high priest, has so much compassion for me as my representative. And why is this called the breastplate of judgment? I like that title. We don't have cool clothes like that anymore. The breastplate of judgment. Like, I've never put on my shirt of judgment, you know? I feel like that would be make me feel powerful going to work or something. But the breastplate of judgment, it was called the breastplate of judgment because within it, behind it, held the two stones. The Urim, U- <laughs> I can't hardly pronounce these things. I've been practicing all week trying to pronounce these things, and I barely got it down. The Urim and the Thummim. And what are these two things? Does anyone know? No, because no one knows. <laughs> no one really knows what these are. That was another trick question. Sorry, I'm awfully mean this morning. No one really knows what these two things are. The best guess, the best speculation is that they were probably just two different stones. Probably a black one and a white one. And they were put behind the the chest piece, and if you needed to know the will of God, you could pull the stones out, maybe just reach in blindly and pull one out, and if it's the white one, it means yes. If it's the black one, it means no, right? So maybe it was just something simple like that. They are used several times in the passages of the Old Testament. Um, I think Joshua uses the stones to decide whether to go to war at one point or not. Um, And at first at first read, you could read this and think, oh, man, wouldn't it be nice if we had those stones today? Like, we should be like, God, should I go do this thing? Reach in, grab a stone. Yes, okay, I'll go, in, you know, <laughs> or not. Well, yes and no, right? That seems like a good idea, but it, it comes with its own set of problems. Well, number one, these stones would be on the high priest. The high priest would be in Israel. It's a long trip for us here in Connecticut. Has anyone ever flown to Israel? Anyone here? I've, I've done that trip. Some of us here have done it a few times. It takes a long time to get to Israel. It's like an all-day event, right? And thankfully, we have airplanes that we can even do that. Otherwise, you'd be in, uh, ep- you're, you'd be in for an epic voyage if you, you know, lived 100 years ago, right? Um, and then once you get there, you get to the high priest You've spent all these resources to get to the high priest. Then you have to, like, probably get in line. Like, how important is your question in life? I mean, these guys, think about it. Like, you know, they just lived, the high priest would be in Jerusalem. If you lived in Galilee, that would be, like, a huge trip to get up to to Galilee, or to Jerusalem to see the high priest, to talk to him, you know? But, like, for us, it would be even a bigger voyage. And once you get there, how important is your question? You know, like as a as a young man, the biggest question that I always had was, God, when am I going to get a wife? I want to get a wife, you know. Should I, should I date that girl? Are you going to give me a wife? I want to get married. You know, that, as a young man, that was like my biggest thing, right? That That would be like the biggest question I would go to like the high priest for, right, you know. But there's probably like a thousand other young guys who would want to ask the priest that too. So he'd probably, no, you, you, that's not an important question. You, you just go back to work, you know. This is for important things like going to war or something, right? Anyways, all that to say is all my cares in my life right now, probably none of them would warrant 
like getting penciled in on the high priest's schedule, right? But you know, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says, "Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you." As a Christian, when you give your life to the Lord, he comes into your life. His Holy Spirit comes into you to dwell in you and to have a living relationship with him. And you can go to him in prayer. You can cast all your cares on him, whether it's the most important decision of your life or the most simple day-to-day stuff. You can talk to him. You can cast all your cares on him. And that's so much better than trying to wait and see what the stones have to say, right? Not only do we have the Holy Spirit living in our lives, but we have his word. You know, like the Israelites, when they were hanging out here in the desert, they didn't have the Bible. Like Moses hadn't even written the first five books yet, right? So like these guys didn't have scripture. Us, we have the scriptures. We can go through our, our Bibles and seek out what the Lord has has. And I truly believe like the, the Bible has an answer for anything you're going through in life. It might not say your name. Keith, pay attention to this verse here, you know, but it'll have something that can speak to me in the situation that I'm going through. And I believe it's the same for you guys. So if if you're looking for inspiration and and, um, you want to hear, you know, the Lord speak to you, I would encourage you to spend some some time human and thuman through the pages of your Bible. Things. I had to. I had to practice saying that like ten times. St- try saying human and, th- and thumim five times fast. It's like, okay, go home after when you're after lunch. Just sit there on the couch. Try doing that. Just see how that goes. Verse thirty-one. It says, "You shall make the robe of the ephod all blue, and there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. You shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in the coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet, and all around its hem bells of gold between them, and a golden bell and pomegranate and all this stuff." So, verse thirty-five. It shall be when Aaron ministers. The sound will be heard where he goes into the holy place before the Lord when he comes out that he may not die. So, after all these things that we've talked about, on the bottom of the robe, there would be little, you know, uh, shapes in the shape of pomegranates and bells interwoven. Just a bunch of them all around the, the, the hem of his robe or whatnot. And Jewish tradition, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but the Jewish tradition is that they would also tie a rope around the high priest's foot. So if he goes into the Holy of Holies and messes something up, maybe he doesn't have the right fire or he got the wrong blood or his heart wasn't prepared right or he didn't do the right sacrifices leading up to it or whatnot and he wasn't 100% perfect before the Lord, he would drop dead. And if you're listening and the bells stop making sounds, (laughs) they could just pull the rope, pull the dead body out of the Holy of Holies. It's kind of scary, huh? Verse 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and grave on it like the engraving of the signet, holiness to the Lord. <clears throat> and you shall put on it a blue cord that, that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban, so that it shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron may bear the, iniqu- the iniquity of the holy things with the children of Israel, hollow in their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be acceptable for the Lord. Talk about carrying the weight of the world on you. I mean, not even just like on the shoulders. We talked about carrying it on the shoulders, but like literally on his head, holiness 
to the Lord. <clears throat> and it says, you know, that Aaron may, you know, bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hollow in their, their holy gifts, and they shall always be on his forehead that they may be acceptable before the Lord. I mean, it's basically saying like the buck stops here. Like at the end of it all, it's the high priest's job to represent the people to God. And if the people aren't even following the Lord, it's his job to make sure that they are and to, to help them know how to follow the Lord and to make sure they're ready to bring their sacrifices to the Lord. He's the one who represents them to God. The buck stops with him. Maybe you wouldn't want to be called to be the high priest, even if you could fulfill all these, these uh, requirements that we talked about earlier. So then this chapter wraps up saying, you shall skillfully, uh, verse 39, you shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron your brother, and on his sons with him. And you shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. Oh, in verse 42, you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness that they shall reach from the waist to the thighs. So that answers the boxers versus brief debate, if anyone was questioning out there. God is a boxer man. <coughs> Verse 43, they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Whew, that's a lot. Good job, everyone. Good job getting through this chapter this morning. Proud of you. Like, I'll just say like the last thing, like, Thank God he at least made all these things out of linen, like instead of like wool, because wool would be like, make them super sweaty, and they're out in the desert already, they're probably hot, you know. But God, even when keeping in mind, you know, how his servants are, are serving, he keeps in mind helping them to do it at least a little bit more comfortably, you know. Um, and then we could just carry right into chapter 29 and talk about all the sacrifices that go on and and that tie directly into what we're talking about. And, I mean, shoot, it's only 11.26. The Seahawks game doesn't start until 4.30 today, so I could go on. I'm in no rush. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, as we get into chapter 29, we start to read about, like, all these animals and the sacrifices. And you, and you go through the book of Leviticus, and, like, Talk about, like, all the animals and all the bloodshed. Like, we're talking goats, rams, doves, bulls. I mean, this was a vegan's worst nightmare. Like, there would be so much blood and guts involved with this. So on that note, everyone have a good lunch today. That's how we're going to end. I'll go ahead and invite the band back up. A lot of the... Uh, the 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 high priest's jobs would to would be to do a lot of sacrificing, um, but the most important thing he did was once a year. Sorry, I stole a stool. The thing he would do once a year was on the day of atonement.
where he would go into that place in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. So as we talked about in the the last few weeks about the tabernacle and how it was set up and what the lampstands and the incense and the altars and all those things that were outside the tabernacle, some of those things were inside the tabernacle. And then there was a big, thick, decorative curtain with the images of cherubim on it. And behind that was another room, and that was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And on the Ark of the Covenant, and we all just like immediately started thinking Indiana Jones, right? Like the Ark of the Covenant and the way it looks, you know. On top of it, it had the two cherubim with their wings outstretched toward another. And that specific part of the Ark of the Covenant was called the Mercy Seat. And the high priest would have to come in once a year after going through like a list of things he had to do. He would sprinkle blood at the mercy seat. And the presence of God would dwell there. And again, it was so important that the priest had everything in his life together. Everything just like done perfectly. All the sacrifices made his heart in the right spot. Because he could die being in the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was ripped in two. And not just from the bottom as if man was trying to rip it apart, but from top to the bottom. That curtain was ripped in two. I've got one rousing affirmation coming over here. Does that make anyone else excited? Do you guys get what I'm saying? There's nothing separating us from God anymore. You don't have to be a high priest. You don't have to be a regular priest. To be in the presence of the Lord. And to be in God's presence. No more sacrifices. No more works. We simply get to dwell with God. Back when I was in Bible college. um, In in California. The the college that I was at. um, They also had a conference center. On the weekends they would have churches from all over California. And the southwest come and do conferences on the grounds. And there's this one church that came to do a conference one weekend, and they set up this huge replica of the temple. And it was maybe just a little smaller than the barn, you know, back there. Um, and they set up, like, this whole, you know, the, the fence around it and, and whatnot. And they had, like, little representations of the altars and stuff. And it wasn't, like, made of gold or anything, you know. <laughs> like, a lot of it was, like, construction paper or whatever. But... You know, it, it gave the, the, the imagery of what the, the tabernacle was like. And after their, their conference was over, they left it at the college for a couple of days to allow us Bible students to come and check it out. And uh, they would have us come up kind of one by one. Um, you'd have to leave your friends and just do this by yourself and and just, like, walk through and go through the motions of, And we weren't, like, doing, like, the ritualistic, like, sacrifices or anything like that, you know. But just, like, going up to, like, each part of it and just, like, spending some time in prayer with God, you know. And just, like, soaking it all in. And I remember just so vividly getting into it. um, You know, walking into the first room of the tabernacle and seeing everything. And just, like, 
like feeling like the weight of responsibility. You know, not that I felt like I was bearing that, but like feeling the magnitude of what that responsibility would have been for those priests serving there. And then, I mean, I'll tell you what, by the time I got, you know, I would step behind through that curtain to the Holy of Holies, like, it's just like a cardboard box, like with like gold construction paper on it, right? You know, but like, I felt like uh, someone had like hit me in the chest, you know, like the magnitude of what that would have been like to be the high priest, you know, where you've spent the whole year, hopefully prayerfully preparing to serve the Lord and to get into that place. And how you would be the one person on the planet who got to be in that room where the presence of God would dwell. And again, now we have, we have that all the time now. And how amazing is that? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 23 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. So how are we to enter into God's presence? Boldly, with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. And why don't we all stand and we'll pray and we'll, we'll sing one more song to God this morning in, in praise and worship. But maybe I would take a moment to ask if there's anyone here who hasn't made that decision to follow Christ and you want to be able to boldly enter into his presence, but you haven't invited him into your life yet and you haven't asked him to forgive you of his, your sins. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he will forgive you of your sins and he will come into your life. And with every head bowed, I just ask right now, is there anyone here who needs to make that decision? If you do, just raise your hand right now so we can see, so I can see. If there's anyone here who has not made that decision, you need to come to Christ this morning. Just raise your hand. I don't see any hands, so I hope that means we're all saved here this morning. And if that's true, then that's amazing. Last month when I gave the message and I gave the invitation, no one raised their hands, but after the service, a couple of people got saved. So maybe you're just too intimidated to raise your hand, and I get that. If that's true, don't let that stop you. Give your heart to Jesus this morning. Come up, talk with any of us. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you all. Maybe that means we need to bring more people to church, so we need to bring some unsaved people here. So let's bring some unsaved friends for next time. But for the rest of us, may we go with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Because our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood. Making us clean and washed 
And may we hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Amen.